0: the Lonely Office, your playbook for navigating the messy line between work and life. Our topics are sourced from real anonymous workplace conversations happening within Glassdoor communities. From getting fired for being pregnant, which is insane, to getting hired at a quote-unquote evil corporation, we discuss timely work-life issues so you don't have to brave the professional world alone.
1: Hey Aaron, do you have a story for us today? I believe I've been bumped, Matt. I was told not to prepare one.
2: Whoa.
1: Matt, come on. Listen. (laughs) We bumped you. You're playing pasta, Matt. You emailed and said, hey, listen, just for the... And I'm wondering, I'm going to be honest with you, is this a permanent thing? I don't think it is because from what I understand, I'm just taking a break today from the stories. But we do actually have someone who's going to jump in here right away and take us to the front lines. Yeah, this is a temporary bump. We have a
3: unique guest today coming off our episode from two weeks ago on the mandatory return to office. There was a tremendous reception from our listeners. They just really asked for more of that. And we thought it could be interesting to bring in the from the lens of a young Gen Z professional who graduated during COVID, entered the workforce during the remote era, and now finds himself having to transition into full five-day work weeks. And it's quite the transition. So we have his story. His name is Zade Safe. He's from Chicago, Illinois, works for a small architectural design firm. I don't want to give away too much, so maybe we just jump into a story. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. Okay, let's jump right in.
2: Yeah, so originally during COVID, my company obviously was all remote. Now, my company is mostly older. I would say the average age is maybe around like 50. I do (sighs) marketing for an architecture engineering firm. I studied architecture and psychology. And I've been trying to use that to get into the advertising, creative strategy kind of area and space. And so I lost my interviews and all my internships because I graduated during COVID 2020. I kind of just picked up whatever job I could find at that point. Remote work wasn't really a priority for me, it was just receiving a paycheck. So at this company, they saw that no one was doing any work during COVID. The work from home was not working for anyone in my company at all. Projects weren't getting done. And so, (laughs) yeah, because also I believe that kind of like a medium size, more like a small business kind of environment, which it doesn't really work well with a hybrid or online kind of structure. That didn't include you, though. You were doing your work. Yeah. I mean, I was doing my work. <laughs> that's a, yeah, was yeah, listening, that's a, I was doing
1: my work. I wiped my brow a little bit when you said older folks. I just turned 40 and I was hoping you were going
2: to say 40 year olds. You said 50. So you're good with something. <laughs> okay, perfect. We are all on the same page here. So they kind of slowly started to shift it and they did lose employees because of this. Also, they moved offices from Chicago out into the suburbs. So Because it was cheaper for them at the time. And there was a lot more kind of going on in the city. That kind of shed some of the workers because they didn't want to move. But then over time, they kind of really started to drill in the fact that work from home is no longer going to be a thing. You guys have to be into the office. My commute is an hour long, getting in and out of work. And they Mm. said, we don't care. Come on. At all.
0: So there's no flexibility
2: no flexibility whatsoever.
3: They transitioned from remote to full five-day work weeks, cold turkey.
2: Yes. And I would say, I mean, it took them a while to be able to fully make the transition post-COVID. It was a difficult transition for sure. But I mean, they kind of just forced it. They forced it down everyone's throats. And they said, this is the new norm. If you have issues, you can leave. And if not, you can stay here. Oh man, they're drawing a line in the sand. Are you taking a train in or are you driving? Driving. I'm probably driving in 30 minutes of traffic every single day, which I try to explain to my company that I can be a lot more productive. I'm not saying work from home every single day because given my situation and the age range of the people around me who I'm not trying to talk bad about them, but they may not be the most technologically savvy. So a lot of the times I need to actually physically walk up to people's desks and have these conversations which I would never be able to do. Did you
3: find yourself, Z, more productive or less productive personally after the transition from full work from home to full five-day work week?
2: With me personally, when it comes to working from home, I was more productive when I knew exactly what I had to get done, where I had a specific assignment that I know exactly how to get done, and it was only going to take just hours of my day to get done. There's no higher level thinking. There's no needing to collaborate with any of my coworkers. In that case, I felt way more productive. But when it came to more complex projects, working in the office was way more beneficial for me personally. Now, granted, I was born 1997. So that's first Gen Z, end of millennial. So I kind of understand and see both sides of this coin. A lot of Gen Zers, including myself, feel like we can do the job. But in my experience, it's only been related to certain types of work. And I wouldn't say it's conducive to all of my work in general.
0: I feel like that slots in really nicely to what we were talking about, though, in one of the previous episodes where it's more executional work. It's better to be at home because you can just focus in. But when you're talking about something higher level or strategic, it's better to have senior execs and the rest of the team around you. I also wonder if if it's more of an age thing as far as willingness to go back into the office, because you also mentioned that the people you work with are 50 plus and not great (laughs) with technology. So I'm not shocked that they were like, yeah, let's go back to the office. Let's not be on Teams or Zoom or whatever anymore.
3: So is this the full back to the office really just an excuse so that they don't have to start up their own Zoom meetings or resolve their own PowerPoint (laughs) or Excel issues? Is that what this is really about?
2: My company is obviously a little bit different because everyone's kind of in the office. But something that we just get frustrated with, with our managers, it's like, you guys like to work from home, right? You guys want it, but you want a rule set for you and not for us, which we understand, right? You've built this company. You're a founder, you've put in the hours and time of work. But to us from the bottom viewing up, it's, well, where's the leadership? If you're not willing to do it and us knowing that you don't want to be in here, right? Because sometimes over the Zoom meetings, I can clearly tell that they didn't want to be in the office. They like the fact that they can tell their stories. The first 15 minutes is just what they ate for breakfast and what they're doing what they were drinking that specific (laughs) weekend, and then they can go into it. And it's like, I have a job, I'd rather not be on this call. But for them, it almost feels like they can do work without doing the work.
1: Matt and Leah, that what I love about it is he's going, hey, I got work to do, by the way. Right. There's actually things that you're paying me for. I know I want to hear about what you had last night at the new vegan restaurant, but I actually got shit I got to do. See, I just want to clarify, are you saying that it is more efficient for you to work at home or not as efficient? I'm not even just saying work I'm
2: doing on my own, but if it's just cut and dry, like X, Y. Like a deliverable. Exactly. I just think it'd be very, very difficult to do it fully remote.
1: Yeah. So it's like a hybrid situation. That's what I'm saying. I'm not sure, Z, if you're in a DeLorean, because not only do you look like me, (laughs) but I feel (laughs) like you could be me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, because both Leia met, Matt, you know, I have echoed this multiple times. I was in Z's position trying to have a logical conversation with my bosses about hybrid work, saying, hey, look, it doesn't have to be every single day. But for proficiency and productivity to give you full value, let me work a few days at home. Why is this such a hard conversation to have? Why does it feel like it's an all or nothing trade-off? Do you know what I'm saying? It feels like there's this all or nothing. And like you said, the leadership. And if you're asking other folks to come in, you got to be there too, all the time too, right?
3: Did you formally request to be able to work hybrid as maybe an exception to the company policy? Is that something you approach them on?
2: Yes. So I requested one day a week work from home. And beforehand, when I was doing it one day a week and I felt a huge difference on my mental health, me wanting to come into the office, that one day of work from home, I felt was a huge benefit for me. I'm still doing work. But I get to decompress a little bit. Yeah. So I requested one day a week.
0: And you had it for a while and then they took it away?
2: Well, it wasn't officially. Right. So that gray area. Yeah, it was a gray area where I was able to kind of do it. I'm getting my work done. I'm in the office four other days a week. So I'm not missing out on any meetings or any company information. I'm assuming that I can do it because you let me do it, right, for the past month two months you were letting me do this and now all of a sudden you just decide that you don't want to it was very confusing not giving us a clear reason as to why i can't yeah mm. what you were
3: missing was a well-articulated policy on the remote work from home from the get-go or even after they changed their mind why they're enacting the policy and how they're doing it consistently across the organization.
2: Our generation, especially Gen Z, is they claim that we're soft and all of these other things when in reality, we just know too much, right? With the Internet, with programs Mm. and applications like Fishbowl, we get an inside scoop as to what the people at top are doing. And so when we hear that they're going on their vacations, right, (laughs) they want to call in from a beach somewhere and I'm sitting here being forced to go into the office without giving a clear, logical reason as to why I'm not allowed to. That, I feel, is just bad leadership.
0: Well, you said up front people weren't getting their work done, or maybe the older coworkers weren't getting their work done. Do you think they just decided blanket approach? They were like, look, you guys aren't doing your work, so we're cutting you off.
2: It's like when I'm back in grade school (laughs) and that one kid in class does something and we all miss out. On lunch or gym.
0: It's like everybody's running laps. (laughs)
2: Everyone's running laps because one person was late to soccer practice. Yeah. What's the size of the company again? So we have around probably 50 to 60
1: employees.
0: That's pretty big.
1: Matt and Leo, based on what Z's saying, Gen Z has because of the access points and to be able to kind of view the real world, not the sort of like CEO and the magic. There's no magic here. It's a guy who's (laughs) on the beach. Now, with a company that's 50 to 60 people, how hard is it really to do a quick check-in to see which individual worker really could use and benefit and be productive in a hybrid model as opposed to one in the office? Is it really that big of a lift to do that, Matt and Leah?
3: I'll start real quick. I think the short answer is no. Again, we've talked about this. If you're a company of 50, 100, even 150 employees, it's a lot easier for your CHRO or your COO to implement a more custom approach, I'd love to get your perspective on the Z, but a custom approach could mean, depending on your division, the type of work you do, your performance and your performance reviews, you may or may not have the privilege of working from home one or multiple days a week versus this across-the-board approach policy that unfairly treats high-performing workers. and removes the right for them to work in an atmosphere that's not only more conducive for them, but more productive. So yeah, I I think it is easier when you're a smaller business. That's the whole axiom around a startup being more nimble because you're smaller. There's a smaller personnel and employees to deal with.
0: I totally agree. If remote work is a benefit, which I feel like that's how we've been talking about it the past (laughs) few months, then it's a benefit that you earn with great performance.
2: That may not be the norm, but If you just start out at a company, to me, it is absurd for you to start that working remote. That's a very logical thing that most people will understand, right? If you're very clear from the jump that, yes, we do have work from home, but it is earned. You must reach certain thresholds. And once you reach those certain thresholds and that you've proven yourself, then yes, by all means, if you're getting the work done, you're getting the work done.
3: Z, I have to say that we've been talking about Gen Z's a lot on this show, and you're a breath of fresh air. I mean, we've been talking about mentalities like bare minimum Mondays, and
1: (laughs) I don't even know what Fridays, and... You sound like a very reasonable Gen Z. I mean, Aaron, would you agree? Yeah, I was going to say, if I was a 56-year-old CEO, Z's an ideal
0: employee. (laughs)
2: That's what I've been saying. Let them know.
0: Have you heard this (laughs) phrase, the boomerification of Gen Z? I don't know. Z is sounding a little, it's a little boomery. I agree with what you're saying, though. I found it exceptionally difficult to onboard someone remotely. Just because also it was not something I'd done before. I feel like I got pretty good at it, not to toot my own horn, but it's a difficult thing to do, especially someone right out of school.
3: Zooming back out, why don't we speak a bit about general observations you've had as a Gen Z worker in the workforce? One point maybe to tee you up is you had mentioned to me that you think you would benefit and your generation would benefit from more clarity and understanding about the bottom line aspects of the company, that maybe some aspects of the P&L or operational performance, Typically in most companies, small or large, are trusted more with a, an elite few. It could be the C-suite only or the
2: C-suite and VPs. And talking with a lot of my peers, they really don't get that part of it. All they view is, hey, they just gave our CEO a 20% raise because the company is doing well. And that's all they kind of see. And so, especially at bigger companies, our work gets a little bit lost as to how it is actually benefiting and how it's plugging into what the company is actually doing. So it was done a little bit, I think, with the Shopify putting the price of the meeting, of how much that certain meeting costs. That kind of an idea is good, but it's innately very negative. Like, oh, look, you guys are wasting time. It's attacking and it's not necessarily bringing us along with what the company is trying to do. And that doesn't mean that we need a say in how the company does the business, but just bring a little bit more clarity as to, oh, shoot, I messed this up. We lost our company this amount of dollars. Now, granted, that can be a very difficult conversation to have, but I think that that's necessary, the open and honesty between people in the company, because. They claim that we're all a family, right? We're all in this together and we're all a family, but you're not letting me in into the club as to what's going on. Is the company going through a downturn? Don't just tell us, oh, sorry, we're in a bad spot right now. We can't give raises. Well, you're going to tell me that now after the year is over, why weren't we having these discussions throughout the year so that me as an employee, I know, oh, shoot, maybe if I, improve this aspect of what I'm doing, I can bring in more value. I just believe that Gen Z especially, we just cut through the bullshit. We understand that we're just numbers on your spreadsheets because when it comes to the end of the year and you're looking at financials, we might be the first person gone. Right. So we're not gonna have that much empathy for our employer because we don't feel like we're a part of the company.
3: Right. So Leia, Aaron, I have to ask, I'll give you the perspective of the startup CEO having launched two startups and the way I approach business transparency. Leia, at some of the agencies you've worked with in the past, do they have versions of those meetings where at least a quarterly basis, they share some of the top line financials to indicate to the employees how things are going?
0: They definitely do. And I've seen it more and more as my career has progressed. So I feel like it's something that millennials <laughs> had very similar perspective as the one that Z just shared, especially with this ongoing conversation about family and the company being a family. Well, there needs to be transparency. If we're all in this together, we need to know what's going on. If we're going to like get on board and take one for the team.
3: So now that millennials are in positions of power and the bosses, they can empathize with Gen Zs having been there before and, and try to enact some of these more transparent fiscal and financial performance sessions to
1: let them know how things are going. How about you, Aaron? Most of the agencies I worked for or places I worked at were guarded, very guarded about that. And they did give you something It was kind of, it was just crumbs. It was just kind of a facade. So I understand that sentiment that Z's talking about, Mm -hmm. that suspicion. I try to be transparent, but I also know from even the small scope of a small business owner that guarding certain things does have an advantage because I think it, it goes back to this basic negotiation that leaders of any sort of ilk they have to ask themselves one of two questions. Do you want inherently trust people and workers to do the best with the information you're giving them? Or do you inherently distrust people that when you give them that information, Mm -hmm. they're going to take advantage of you? I'm more on with Z's mentality. And I've always leaned into like, here's the cards. I don't have anything to hide. And that's helped me as a small business owner because I tell them like, here's what it is. Here's what they're paying. Here's what I can offer
3: how many startup stories are we familiar with where the CEOs basically running the company into the ground and they had raised X tens of millions of dollars and all of a sudden they found themselves, there's no cash in the bank. None of the employees realized that until it happened and they're fired the next day, right? There's lack of transparency on some things as simple as cash flow and how much capital do you have in the bank? I mean, I have personal stories I know of employees who have signed up for a startup and were fired the next month because it turns out... They didn't even have the capital to go beyond three months of runway. Personalizing this to my own experience a bit, I have to admit it's a bit of a push and pull. So in the two startups I had where I had boards, on the one hand, I have to admit there were discussions that we had with the board that we didn't necessarily share with the employees because some of them were existential and could deflate the entire company. There's
1: a risk there, right? And
3: as you know, you eventually, a lot of times you pivot as a company, figure it out. We did in both startups end up figuring it out. And it could have been a, a big disadvantage had we shared some of those existential questions. On the other hand, without fail, every presentation we ever presented to the board, usually on a quarterly basis, sometimes every other month basis, we would always, my co-founder and I at the time, reboot a version of that presentation, let's say 80% of it for the company, the entire company. It's like you already did the hard work of framing the issues and the positives and The tailwinds and the headwinds, and you might as well reuse that work for the benefit of the company, and bring some transparency to the employees. And we used to do that, and by far that was the most appreciated aspect. I think most employees have had of the companies that I've started because they've mentioned that to me. They mentioned that they really value those meetings. So I kind of recognize the push and pull. You want to be transparent, but then it could needlessly disadvantage or even harm company morale. One more question here, Z, and then we'll let you go. You've been very generous with your time. So. You mentioned companies in the market selling themselves as your family. That's a recurring theme we mention a lot on this show. I think one of the feedback you gave me is this stop trying to please and bait employees with perks. You want to just speak a little about that, just generally what you're seeing amongst you and your friends who are similarly aged and working in the workforce?
2: We have this feeling of we're constantly being sold to. Our generation constantly feels we're being sold something. And it's not like an actual human conversation When a company comes up to us trying to just throw these fancy words out there, right? That might have worked five years ago, maybe ten years ago. But as I said, now when something happens at a certain company, I'm not even in corporate America, and I'll hear about it through a friend's friend friend. So this idea that you can paint this very beautiful picture, it doesn't actually hit the core root of why we are trying to work there. We feel like these companies have gotten very lazy when it comes to actually establishing a company culture. And they would rather just wave fancy things in front of us. I use sports as analogies for basically everything. And talking about culture, right? You have
3: (laughs) football teams like the Patriots. Leah's just shaking your head right now. It's like, oh my God. (laughs) She doesn't deal enough with those sport analogies from Aaron and I. Um,
2: Yeah, I view it as a sports team. So if you look at a team like the Patriots, like the Steelers, if you watch football, they have an ingrained culture, right? The people at the bottom, the players understand that yes, we are a family, right? And yes, I love the city, we love the fans, but if it's on the balance sheet and I need to be cut, I can be cut. That's the way it is. It's a family, but it's also a business. And if it's business, it's always business over family if it comes down to it. Be upfront with that idea of we're picking business over family. Not trying to send people away or scare them off, but also why is that a bad thing, right? Why is it a bad thing to scare some people off? And this idea that we have to be inclusive is, as to bringing everyone in, if I'm being honest, find another company. Like this idea that you're trying to put as many perks as possible to bring as many people in as possible, I just think is counterintuitive to the idea of building a strong team who will get in the ditches, who will get in the bunker with you if need be. There's a seed in what
3: you said, Z, that I think goes beyond just the the discussion of workplace and maybe it's a larger social discussion, but culture used to be a tool that companies employed to set standards and basically on their terms say, hey, do you fit in this culture? And if so, the chances of you performing will be higher. And I think the transition they've made, which I think is both good in certain ways because it's removed forms of discrimination that might have inadvertently or advertently existed, but it's also bad in many ways, in the ways you're saying, they now employ culture more as a rubric where like, can we widen the set of standards as broad as possible as to not eliminate anyone in the process. And as a society, and many companies who've approached these policies have just decided on face value that this is a good thing in all ways. The way I can put this literally is, I don't necessarily have good things to say about Elon Musk's standards, but the idea of like hard work in of itself being a cultural value—you know, the sleep under your desks, that type of mentality—there's some benefits to that. I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say that I employed some of that in my first startup where. There are certain employees who did make the cut, engineers, and we were probably better off at that time with those type of mores and not trying to appeal to every type of work persona.
1: One thing that came clear when he was talking was that there seems to be an idea or at least a stereotype that Gen Z is deeply consumerist. The idea that things ultimately are the things that attract people, shiny objects, right? There's probably a case to be made for that in some instances, but does that mean that's the majority? I don't know. It's hard to pinpoint why people do things and why generations are the way they are. At the end of the day, here's what I think. People generally respond to authenticity. They just do. What I'm hearing from Z, not putting words in your mouth, is that it's a breath of fresh air when someone just approaches you with authenticity and clarity and earnestness. And even if that earnestness and authenticity doesn't work out for you. But let's start off on the right foot here. I think that's an important theme to think about. Hey, you made it. Thanks for tuning in to The Lonely Office. If you like what you heard, follow us on all major podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. And make sure and tap five stars and leave a review. I know everyone says it, but it actually helps others like you discover the show. Remember, the topics you hear us talk about on the show are sourced from Glassdoor communities, where professionals are having candid conversations about their careers anonymously with others in their industry. To be part of that conversation, download the Glassdoor app. And when you're in the app, make sure and join the Lonely Office Bowl. That's where we are. When you're there, you can suggest a topic idea or an episode idea, or you can make it more formal and email us at glassdoor.com. We'll catch you next time.